0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham.
1: Welcome to Career Talk, your Career Insider. We are in Business Radio and we are powered by the Wharton School. Sirius XM, Channel 11. Hey, if it's Thursday noon Eastern, you can call us throughout the hour at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're live, and I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the Career Director for the Wharton MBA Program for Executives right here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And we have Michelle and Danielle in house. Woohoo! And today is a very special episode of Career Talk because. My book Switchers: How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success is now on bookshelves and I'm very excited about that because it is it is all the great advice we offer on the show through my blogs and I've put it together in a step-by-step process so that if you're looking to make a career switch you are empowered to do it through this book. So very excited about that. And today's show is going to be a topsy-turvy episode of Career Talk because what we're going to do is we're going to have me be the person who's interviewed and to do that, we welcome back the man, the legend, Nick Corcadelius of Ask the Headhunter fame. Nick's the author of several books, including Fearless Job Hunting and the number one selling interview guide, Ask the Headhunter. He's been featured everywhere. The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, The New York Times, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, just to name a few. And we're very excited to have him in studio today. Welcome back, Nick.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here again. Yeah. And congratulations well, on this Thank Great you. Birth of a book.
1: And I have to thank you because you've been so supportive along the way. You were one of my early readers, and you've you've been so encouraging about how to, to deal with publishing houses and, and this process that is more monumental, I think, than you can even realize when you start to write a book. You think the writing is going to be the hardest part, but it's actually everything that comes <laughs> after that, that it just gets harder. indeed. Indeed. So we're excited to have you here on our our Topsy Turvy Career Talk, where I'm going to be interviewed on the book. And very fun is that Michelle actually came up with the pre break quiz. So I'm in the hot seat for that, right, Michelle? Oh, yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. We'll see if you get it. So we're turning the tables all hour long. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, we're alive and taking our calls 844 Wharton, 844 942 7866. And before we, we get into the interview, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who has supported me along the way for this book. Um, it is certainly a task that cannot be done alone. And all of the callers and listeners and followers on Twitter and everyone Everybody who has been asking me questions and bringing me career scenarios and encouraging me along the way. I really appreciate it. Bye. Thank you, Danielle. You're <laughs> welcome. So we will just dive in one last time. 844 Wharton. 844 942 Nick Corkadelius of Ask the Headhunter fame. I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh,
2: I want to say two things. Uh, first, I want to say congratulations and re- reiterate what I just said. Giving birth to a book is a huge painful experience. So congratulations. Thank you. Second, I want to say that although I've been publishing and been online for over 20 years, I can count the number of other career books I have written about and endorsed on half a hand. I've known you for a long time, Don, and what stunned me was the insights in the book. And so I'm not here talking with you and about the book because we're friends, I'm here because I think what you have to say to job seekers is pretty earth-shattering and myth-busting. So what I want to, the first question I want to ask you is, uh, and I try to think like like your readers will be thinking, mm-hmm. like the job seekers we both coach and try to advise intelligently are thinking. The book is called Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success. When we talk about switching, uh, most people think in terms of job switching. Yes. What's the difference between switching changing jobs and switching changing careers?
1: Mm-hmm. So you're right. So the traditional idea we get in our head is that I, I work in a company, say, I do retail marketing in walmart and i want to do that at at target and these are the kinds of changes that people have done all through the years and you know the job search is a stressful process but what about if you want to switch and when i say switch what i mean by that what if you want to change industries so you're doing a function and you want to move into a completely different industry so say retail to pharma you know that's that's moderately difficult because you're going to get questioned on that industry experience that you don't have. But then we, we've we moved into a market where people have the opportunity to make bigger changes than that. We have the gig economy, side hustles, portfolio careers. We have the average number of years in a job at 4.2. And so people are moving around, no longer retiring from the companies. And you know this, Nick, that if you stay with a company for too long, now now you're biased for that purpose because companies wonder if you're agile. So we have all these opportunities out there and people realize that, hey, I can do a job that's more satisfying than what I'm doing. Or maybe I got on a ladder early on that seemed like a good fit. But because where I am now, 15, 20 years down the road in my life, that I want to do something different and not just different company or not even just different industry, but different function. So I've been doing doing HR and I really want to do data analytics or I've been a lawyer and that seemed like a good career choice at the time, but now I want to, to go and move into something completely different like finance. And so that's a functional switch. And then some people want to make a double switch. And the book talks about a double switch is changing both industry and function. So I just want to kind of wipe the slate clean and do something completely different. And the the great thing is, is the world um, is open to this, Nick. But what is not the case is the hiring process hasn't shifted to be open to switchers. So when you are a non-traditional candidate trying to get a job as a switcher in a traditional hiring system, you end up hitting a wall. And that's what this book is for, those people who are hitting the wall.
2: So, so when people want to switch careers what you're saying is there are different levels of making a switch yes so if i'm a career i'm a whatever i'm a marketing manager in a pharmaceutical company and i want to make a change i had somebody come to me recently who was a medical doctor who wanted to become an investment banker or he wanted to work in a venture firm so there are different kinds of switches
1: mm-hmm.
2: are, are are some kinds of switches easier done than others and and why
1: yeah, so if you're if you're looking to make an industry switch, that's probably the easiest simply because you have the functional knowledge and learning the new industry is is going to be easier than learning a completely new function. When you're looking to make a functional switch, so maybe you're staying in pharma and making a functional switch from say being a lawyer to going into HR, people are gonna question, hiring managers are gonna question, well, okay, you have the industry knowledge and that's helpful, but how do you even know how to function in this, this new role? And then if you're trying to do both at the same time, a hiring manager is really going to be scratching their head because they're going to say, wait, this is not the resume that I have expected to see in front of me. Um, so you're going to really have to justify why I should roll the dice on you and take a risk.
2: So in the book in the, in the section "Keep the Ball in Your Court," you say something that really kind of floored me, and I started laughing. You said that uh, job switchers are are um, they're they're uh, fettered by by um, these are these are expression. There's an expression that's uttered by job switchers and by politicians alike, mm-hmm. w- which I think is true, and that's that it's not fair. It's not, it's fair. not fair. It's and not fair. And I think both of us have encountered a lot of people maybe more up at the higher levels in management, who, like this fellow I mentioned, who was a medical doctor who wanted to become a, a venture capitalist or an investment banker, the reaction is, I've done all these things that I need to do to switch careers, and it's not fair. They're not letting me in the door. Mm-hmm. So, so what's not fair about it or is it really unfair or what's really going on what do you say to this person who complains to you it's not fair that I can't get in the door to change my career
1: yeah so i have a whole chapter on this actually and and that's how important i think it is because here's here's one of the reasons the, the biggest reason i wrote this book is to be for job seekers to be empowered what i what i Hate to hear from clients or students or others who are looking to make a switch. Is I feel stuck. I feel like I have this this drive and this passion and these skills, and I want to make the switch, but nobody's even opening the door to look at me. And there's a reason for that. There's loss aversion, which is a psychological principle that that we all experience. And loss loss aversion is essentially when we weight things that are 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 negative more than things that are positive. So just as a an example of that, if you lose $20, you're going to be really mad about that for for probably a number of weeks because you're like, where'd that $20 go? But if you find $20 on the sidewalk, you'll be happy for you know, a short period of time, but it probably won't stick with you. And so if you think about how that applies to the job search, I mean, hiring managers here's a secret. They don't like the hiring process any more than you do as a job seeker. I mean, it's true. They have a day job. It's not hiring. It's not interviewing. It's not reading resumes. And they have an open role, which means they're taking on more work than they want to be doing. So they want the hiring process to end just as much as you do. So you know, they're ready to be done with it. But they tend to hire the safe candidate, which tends to be the traditional candidate, because they you know they don't want to take a risk that loss aversion is very strong. they don't want to ruin their reputation. They don't want to have to hire somebody new in six months, so it's like you know I'd rather have an average, safe, traditional candidate than having somebody who might be a risk and so you're right, that's not fair, Nick, and you know what else is not fair. It's not fair. They hire the younger candidate, the older candidate. It's not fair that the person with with more tenure got laid off and and the newer person didn't. There's so many things in the job search that really aren't fair. And what I find is that when people are switching careers, they, they put their time into all of these traditional processes and they get frustrated and they get, you know, rejected and they feel wow, I guess I'm really not good enough to do this. And and 90% of the cases, that's not it. What's it is that you can't get in front of the decision makers and make a good enough case. And what I don't want people doing is wasting their time on some of these things that just don't work and, and chasing fairness, as I call it, and trying to make the system fair um, and then not having that energy left to really go after yeah. What They want and here's the here's the other thing that you know about. It's not fair. Guess what when you get hired as a switcher Somebody's gonna say well, that's not fair I actually (laughs) had the traditional background and you got hired so so it's an interesting concept and I think it's it's you know outside the job search is something you have to look at You know across your life. Hey, if you're just tuning in you're listening to career talk and we are here with Nick Corkadalias of ask the headhunter fame and we are doing topsy-turvy Career Talk today on Sirius XM Channel 111, where I'm getting interviewed on my new book, Switchers. And we're also going to do that with the pre-break quiz, which is going to be very fun. So if you're just tuning in, we are, of course, are live. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, taking your calls at 844 Wharton, 844 844-942-7866. Back to you.
2: One of the subtle uh, strengths, I think, of the book, and maybe I'm a little biased because of my own background and you just touched on on several uh, psychological issues that that come into play in the job search process and the selection process and how managers think, the way they behave, the way they treat you. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, you, you, you sprinkle the book with with a lot of psychology? And I think this is what's missing from a lot of of tomes about changing careers, about interviewing, and so on and so on. There's a lot of powerful psychology at play in this whole process, and it's not discussed I think primarily because most people in the career field have no idea what what, what these psychological phenomena mechanisms are. Can you touch on a couple... You you talked about bias for example Mm -hmm. a little bit on the the part of the hiring manager. What are a couple of... uh, I call them fun facts from the world of psychology Mm -hmm. that that people may be aware of, but they don't understand how they play into this whole process and how they might leverage these things to take advantage of of how the hiring process works, get a better chance of getting the kind of job that they want.
1: Yes. And, you know, as a licensed psychologist, I thought this was missing. I thought the same thing. This is what's missing because I went back to get a degree in psychology because what I realized is that the business world is all about psychology. Anywhere there's human interaction, it's about psychology. And the job search process has it everywhere and there's a number of things I cover um, throughout the book that really helps job seekers switchers in particular get inside the mind of the person on the other side of the desk because I think when you can understand what's going on in that person's mind and how they're approaching the hiring process you have a huge advantage as a switcher to change your strategy and into one that's going to make sense so one of the things I talk about is is mindset and that's woven throughout the book but you know something I tell my students all the time is you have to think about this. The The job search for a hiring manager starts out as a process of elimination, not selection. And that kind of blows their mind because what are you talking about? They say, well, you know, they get 250 candidates – applying online and they have to narrow that down to one or two they can only hire one who so in their mind they're looking to eliminate and if, and if you're thinking about it, if you're looking to eliminate you're looking for red flags so up oh, gap in your resume you're out up oh, you know you don't have the right titles cuz you're a switcher up oh, you're out and you've got to if you know that, you can create a resume, you can create a, a, a pitch, you can create a brand, and it goes. The book goes through this step by step to combat that. But if you think it's about selection, you approach it in a different way. There's also we talked about loss aversion a little bit a few minutes ago, so I won't go into that. But um, the other thing is emotions play into every decisions humans make, and there's there's lots of research out there that if that part of the brain that's, that is responsible for emotions is damage. People can't even make a simple decision about dinner. But it's interesting, because you know this, Nick, that companies are putting candidates through these assessments and, you know, all this, like, you know, I get all this data, all this data, all this data. But... At the end of that search, that final decision is going to come down to emotions, no matter how scientific a company tries to make it, because a human is making that final decision. And when you start to know that, you can start to create a strategy around getting past things like confirma- confirmation bias, which, you know, really quickly is, if you come in as a switcher, then that's how they're going to look for data about you. Oh, this person's a lawyer, but I'm looking for an HR person. So, you know, everything I do is going to confirm you're not a good fit for me. So what the book teaches you to do is to not lead off with titles, not lead off with with things that create that bias, but rather to lead off with the value you add. And if you come in saying that, you know, I... I um, I have a history of, of you know, uh, writing policy and, and creating situations where the company reduces risk around employee relations. I mean, okay, now you're starting to sound more like an HR person and less like a lawyer. But if you start out with lawyer, bam, you're not what I want. My, my wall goes up and I don't even want to hear anything else you, you have to say. So these are the strategies that the book talks about. And these are good for all job seekers. I mean, honestly, I think all job seekers need to do this. But switchers... It's super critical.
2: I think what you're getting at is the idea of the job candidate breaking the interview. Because as you said, interviews tend to be highly structured. Managers are taught to be, quote, unquote, fair by using the same process with everybody. And I often ask myself, if you want a really outstanding, off-the-chart, off-the-scale candidate, why would you treat them the way you treat everybody else? And yet that's what managers do. They tend to ask the same kinds of questions. They Mm go through the same process. This is why the candidate gets nervous because it seems rote to them, because it is rote, and so they worry about, how am I going to come up with the right answer? What is the right answer? So so what do you say to a candidate who is a switcher, who realizes they're in a very structured interview that's really designed for a job switcher, not a career switcher, and you've got this, these rote questions coming at you? I think of it as breaking the interview and having the candidate somehow interject or take control in a polite way. What can a candidate do who's a switcher to break the interview and get the manager off this path that's almost, almost spells doom for the poor switcher because the manager's looking for the easy hire, the, mm-hmm. the person who's going to fit all the criteria. And yet here's someone who doesn't have all the criteria. So, so what would you say to a candidate who asks, well, so what should I do to change this process to make it better for me?
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because, as you know, Nick, if, if hiring isn't your primary job, if you're an accountant or whatever you do in the organization, maybe you hire two or three people a year, you're probably not trained to interview. So you think, well, I have this rote set of questions, and I'm going to ask everybody the same thing, and that makes me an objective interviewer.
2: <laughs> that makes them the top 10 stupid interview questions. They're all the same.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and candidates come in, and they get these questions, and And here's what I always say to um, my clients and my students. It is 100% your responsibility to go into that interview and leave on the table what you want them to know about you. 100%. And I know again that sounds unfair, which is why I had to put a whole chapter. I know it sounds unfair, but you if you go in again knowing on the other side of the table, that person is probably not trained to interview. That person is probably following a script and that script may not fit your background or may not fit your strengths. Like it, you have to know what you want to say. So it, it's kind of a little bit like a politician, although I know that's a negative connotation, but you have to have a message you want to leave, which is why it's so critical to prepare. And I think that's one thing that a lot of job seekers miss. They go in, they think, I can wing the interview because I know me, I'm the product. Who knows me better than me? But you know you have to get surgical it's how you say it and so for example for a career switcher you can't go in saying I'm you know I'm excited about switching my career and changing I mean because you're planting more of those risk seeds in the hiring manager you have to go in and say you know this is a logical next step and I'm looking to broaden this and and really pick your language around that so I think that's the key to anybody who interviews, not just a switcher, is you really need to know what you, you want to leave on the table. And just because somebody asks you a question in a certain way, you certainly can make sure you put certain things in your answer that you want to leave with.
2: Let's talk a little bit about the cost of making a career switch. You, know, I, I, you and I have both dealt with people who decide they want to make a major career switch and they sit down and they ask themselves, okay, what's it going to take to do this? I'm currently earning... a year or $75,000 a year, I want to make the change, I may have to take a salary cut, but I really want to try to find a job in a new domain, I don't really want to give up any salary, so how do I go about doing that? And what I try to get across to them is, you have to ask yourself, what is it worth to you to make the switch? What is the cost that you're incurring, and what are you willing to spend, either in terms of money, status, salary... What can you say about these costs that people need to be aware of when they're making a switch?
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's really important even before you start taking those steps forward to think about these things because it really depends on your switch. How big of a switch are you making? Industry, functional, double switch. What are you moving into? What skills are you bringing with you? How strong are your connections? So you really have to do an assessment. But here's the thing. I, I think I write in the book specifically if you're not willing to lose, you're not ready to switch. And what I mean by that is that had loss aversion actually applies to us as job switchers, too, because any change you make, and William Bridges has a whole model on this, any change you make, there will be things you lose, things you gain, and things that stay the same, even positive changes. So I think you need to fairly assess what those things are. And the book talks about non-negotiables. We have very few non-negotiables. We have lots of ideals, and we have lots of wants, and we want this, and we want a high salary. We want to work from home three days a week, and we want to commute down the block, and you know all these great things. And it's good to know those so you can aim and get as close as you can. But we have very few non-negotiables which are those things that absolutely can't change. So for example, maybe you're divorced and you can't relocate because you have joint custody of a child. That that might be an actual legit non-negotiable that you can't change. But most of us have very few of those. We like to pretend we do. I can't possibly live on less money. I can't possibly move to another city i can't possibly And we have all these reasons that we come up with but i think you know there's a there's a checklist and assessment in the book that really has you go through what are you willing to give up for this change and the bigger the change the more you might have to give up and we're so tied in our identity to our careers that it, it, it's intertwined especially here in the u.s so it's hard even if we're going to something that seems really exciting When we start to think about what we're going to lose, and and because of loss aversion, those things seem to be even bigger than they are.
2: You've you've got a list of 10 uh, career change, uh, you you call it the career change tolerance questionnaire. Yep. Which I think, if for no other reason, that's worth the price of entry to the book, (laughs) is being able to walk through these steps to ask yourself, what is your tolerance for making that kind of change? And what I tell people is you will almost always have to have to cut your salary in order to make change. And then the the question they ask me is, well, how long is it going to take me to make it up? And obviously it varies, depends on the individual and the individual situation. When you see someone who's made a career switch and they've had to take a salary cut, a status, a title cut, how long does it take to get back? Are they likely to? Do you see people who try to make the switch and never make it back up?
1: So I have, I have plenty of examples on both sides. I have examples of people who took a step back in salary and then two years later advanced beyond what they made before. And I have people who have taken a step back in salary and never looked back because they were so happy in their new role. And I think, yeah, compensation is always going to be important. People n- need it to live. But I think where we are today is that meaningful work, interesting work is is really a balance to that and people are willing to sacrifice some things for that. I mean time to go to your your kid's soccer game or maybe a job that doesn't require you to travel 80% of the time and never be at home. So I think we tend to put a lot of emphasis on money. And you know there's a lot of research out there that says once you get to a certain point anything on top of that doesn't really make you any happier. And what we do know though is about regret. And there's a lot of data out there that says that, you know, sometimes we do stupid things and we tend to regret that for a week or two. But when we, we don't go after our dreams, when we, we have that type of regret, things we didn't do, that lasts a lifetime. And those are the things you think about, yeah. you know, at the end of days. And so, you know, is this, can you make changes? Can you get rid of cable? Can you get a remake? Can you do all these things? You know, yeah, it sounds terrible, but if maybe it's temporary. But I do think if you're not willing to lose you're not ready to switch, so it's something that you need to assess before you kind of dive in with both feet
2: yeah it's it there's a price there's a price uh, you alluded to something before We were talking about we were talking about the unfairness of it all mm-hmm. and we're talking about how rote and structured the interview process the hiring process is and how there are inherent biases when when when, when someone is is trying to switch careers. They're obviously trying to educate themselves about what the employer wants. They study the job description. They try to get a good idea. Maybe they talk to people in the field to do that kind of job. They want to be ready when they go in. And they have this idea of what the hiring manager wants. Yes. And then there's what the hiring manager really wants. And we've seen this again and again where the candidate is prepping – for this you know, array of challenges that they're facing in order to get accepted into the position. And then they realize they haven't hit on the key things. Mm-hmm. So, so how can a candidate in a situation like that find out or figure a suss out what the hiring manager really wants from them?
1: Yeah, and this is where I think switchers sometimes have an advantage because I think they do a lot more work to get to where they are and they do a lot more research and have a lot more conversations. So, so they're inherently gathering this data along the way, either through their contacts or other research they're doing, or even, you know, doing projects and things of that nature. But I mean, I think this goes back to, you have to go in, with an idea of what your market and what your audience wants, so that you know what skills to put forth. And, you know, an example I, I love to use is that if you're selling, um, for example, a sports car and a family comes in, a young family comes in, and you start talking about its sound system and its speed, um, you know, and family's kind of looking at you, this is not the right car, but maybe it's also a very safe car. It's very reliable. It has 18 airbags and, and, you know, it's it's got these other features. All of those can exist in one vehicle, but you need to know what your audience wants. And so I think that's that kind of defines all of us as professionals. We all have a lot of qualities and skills and abilities to bring to the table. And sometimes it's hard to let go of those ones that are are marquee in your life, but that's not what your new audience wants. So you might say, like I've had a candidate who Was trying to go from the clinical side and pharma to the the business side, and you know, kept getting, oh, we don't, you know, clinical types don't do the business side; this is not what we do. But the problem was is that she kept pushing her PhD. But I have a PhD, and that's not (laughs) what they wanted, you know. And it wasn't until she started rebranding herself and showing them the qualities that she also had that they wanted that they actually opened the door to her. So I think I think that that is so important that rebranding yourself. And you're right; you're going to get to the table and you might not know everything. Um, But this is where the interview is meant to be a discussion. This is meant to be, you you want to come asking intelligent questions. You want to say, you know, what are your priorities? What are your goals? And you want to know yourself well enough to be able to respond with examples and accomplishments about how your background can fulfill those goals.
2: That kind of gets to uh, what I think is an important myth that you break through in the book, where you talk about education. Uh, people who are, who are going to switch careers in a dramatic way kind of realize that they may need specific skills that they don't have. They want to go do something else that's radically different, so what kind of education do I need? So they take a look around and they say, oh, th- th- this seems to be the education program that certain schools are offering, and this is what I should go do, and I'm going to go invest this much money, this much time, this many years to get the academic credentials, and now I should be able to get the job. And when it doesn't work, and what you hear is, oh, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk about education a bit. Um, I've seen it happen uh, at lower levels, for example, with a computer programmer who who becomes convinced he can't get he or she can't get a job because they, they don't p- code in certain languages. So they go get certified, spend a year getting certified in a new language, only to find that it's ha- having that certification doesn't get them anything because they don't have the more fundamental ideas and concepts and methodology behind software development. So the language itself doesn't make a difference. In other kinds of domains, when someone makes a, wants to make a dramatic shift, they might have no management experience, so they go, go, go get a management degree. What, can you, what kind of advice do you give people about making the leap to getting education? What kind of assumptions do, they, do you think they make, and should they stop making
1: Mm-hmm. I think the reason that online job um, ads are so popular is because there's a structure to it. You feel like there's a job, I applied, my resume sent, like I'm, I'm, you know, there's a structure and, and I'm going to follow it and it's going to work. And what we know is that, that those those don't always work. And I say the same thing about education. I'm a big fan of education. I, I think it's, it's a great thing to do. I think it's great to build your skills in certain ways and build your contacts. But if you're a switcher, that can't be your first step. And, you know, I had a candidate or a client rather come to to me who had spent two years getting a degree in speech therapy only to realize in her internship phase that this was not at all the job she envisioned in her head and so by the time she came to me she had two years worth of investment and loans and money and and two years of lost time and and a lot of people do this they think oh education's gonna be in the magic bullet and I think in some ways it can help it can help build your network maybe your lingo but the fact is experience will always trump education so if you're thinking if there's a certain field you're going into that requires it then of course you're going to do it but if if it doesn't Think hard before you make this your first step because it's a big investment. Is this what I want to do? Is this going to get me to where I want to go? Does this program that I'm applying to have actual internships or other applied types of experiences that are going to give me that actual experience that I can sell to a hiring manager? Because the fact is, if you if you go and you sit in a classroom for two years, you you hopefully will build your network and, and get some of the, the background foundation, but you're still going to have that hard job search at the end where people are going to ask you, have you ever done this? And where have you done this? And where are your results? Education can be a great tool, but it's not enough, and if you make it your first step, you may get to the end of that two years and be very disillusioned. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 11. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here today talking about Switchers, my new book, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success, and helping us with that is Nick Korkadilius of Ask the Headhunter fame, and right now, it's time to go to our pre-break quiz. And quiz.
0: There's a quiz?
1: There is a quiz, and on today's Topsy Turby Career Talk, Michelle is going to quiz me. I'm very
0: excited about it. (laughs) And I have to preface this with, uh, Dion got this right this morning. I tested my quiz answer, I mean, my quiz question on him, and he got it right, so the pressure's on. All right. Um, First given in 1982 under a different name, this award is presented to the highest goal scorer in the FIFA World Cup Finals. Okay, really? Sports? Yep. Sports. With, with sports. Hey, it's timely. It's very timely. Can you pick a, a topic I know less about? World Cup's going on. <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> for okay. everyone except for people in the U.S. But. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I, no, soccer's great. I think soccer's awesome. 844 um, Wharton 844 844-942-7866. If you know the answer to Michelle's
0: Pre-break quiz, please help me out. Highest goal sco- goal scorer in history. In no no no. So this <laughs> award is presented to the highest goal scorer in the FIFA World Cup Finals. Oh, you're
1: talking about the award. I was like, Pele? No. No.
0: That's nice. okay. All right.
1: Eight four four nine four two seven eight six You'll see me a career talk on Sirius XM channel one eleven. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Graham. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio, and we are powered by the Wharton School. Series XM, channel 111. I'm your host Dr. Don Graham, career director here at the Wharton MBA program for executives. And you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. And we are here with Nick Horkadelius of Ask the Headhunter fame. He is also the author of several books, including Fearless Job Hunting and the number one selling interview guide, Ask the Headhunter. So, Nick, where can people reach you? Where can people find your materials? All of this fun stuff.
2: Asktheheadhunter.com. We keep it very, very simple. No addresses, no phone numbers, no... Uh, all you need to know is asktheheadhunter.com. There are... Literally hundreds of free articles. There's a weekly newsletter that comes out every Tuesday morning. You can sign up for That's free. The best thing about the website is after a person submits a question, I I try to answer it. Everybody else piles on and provides even better advice than I do. So we have this great community dialogue that I'm incredibly proud of.
1: And that's one of the things that's very cool about you. Regardless of, of you've gotten huge and people email you and reach out to you and you answer everybody
2: about forty five thousand questions at this point, since yeah I started doing this and it's that's a blast. incredible it's, a blast. it's not
1: a PR person. it's not an assistant. it is you answering people, which is phenomenal well thanks and I think that goes to show how much you love this topic. you love helping people and um you know it's it's amazing and you've been an inspiration to me so thank you Thank you so we are talking about um we're doing topsy-turvy career talk today where I'm being interviewed on my new book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success. And this is out on Amazon. It's on your bookshelf. So if you're looking to switch careers or maybe you're a job seeker who's just looking to amp up your job search, you're going to want this step-by-step process that gives you all of my best secrets in one place called switchers and we're gonna we're doing topsy-turvy so we're doing the pre-break quiz the same way inside out so michelle your pre-break quiz question which is about the one topic
0: i probably know nothing about it's true do you want me to read the question again yes please (laughs) first given in 1982 under a different name this award is presented to the highest Goal scorer. Goal scorer is very hard to say by the way. Goal scorer. The person who scores the most goal in goals in the FIFA World Cup finals. Okay. So every time the World Cup happens, this award is given at the end of it to the person who scored the most goals. So even if your team loses, you can still get some individual glory.
1: Okay. So it's like Miss Congeniality kind of award. (laughs) Yes. Mr congeniality um okay so it came out in 1982 that's the first year at least I was born then that's that's a good start that's right you were um (laughs) that year (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love you Michelle um let's yeah let's just make that a a new fake news fact um I have no clue so I am going to say um
0: no 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 Oh, you're answering. No, I was gonna say. Oh, answer. Okay, I thought you were gonna toss even, it to someone else. I didn't else. even
1: say it yet, and you're like, "No, no, that isn't it."
0: <laughs> Clearly, I'm really excited.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not it, but um, the the FIFA MVP of the year award.
0: No. Yeah, I I'm gonna give you the the no, like you always give. No, that's not it. I know. I try. And, I try and be kind about it. Your <laughs> you lose on do. the other foot. Oh, um, Michelle's really going in today. <laughs> I know, Danielle. Do you know? Uh, I'm gonna go with the goat because I just feel like greatest of all time, best oh. goal scorer. I
1: was wondering where you got. Dang,
0: goat.
1: <laughs> Nick. Do you know? Do you? The
2: Bend it With Beckham Award.
1: Yeah. See, <laughs>
2: that's the only thing I know about soccer.
1: <laughs> the Bendit um Danielle. I'm gonna assume that's not it. So
0: that is not it. Uh, I know. Michelle. I figured I was waiting for Michelle to come in with that. No, Sorry, we yeah. had some calls, too. Yeah. Um, so we do have some people guessing. OK, G- right. good guesses,
1: too. All right. Emily in New York, what is your guess? Help us out, please. Well, they get a plaque
0: with a recording that says go. Oh! <laughs> I feel like she should get um like a sympathy thing I mean, cuz that was freaking awesome. Award. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, well, you know what, Emily? I think I think if FIFA's listening,
1: that is going to okay. be the new award. This year, (laughs) because that would be a pretty awesome award.
0: Maybe I should go into that business for my career. There (laughs) you go. (laughs) Yes, that's fantastic. Switch it like Beckham. Switch it (laughs) like Beckham.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe he'll read my audio book. Who knows? Um, (laughs) But you're wrong. Yeah, sorry, Emily. (laughs) You're wrong. Mm. Um, All right. Uh, Francois in Arizona. You have a quiz answer.
2: Yes, it is a slice of cabbage. (laughs)
1: <laughs> ah, that's awesome! That's awesome, and that comes from last week's pre-break quiz yes. where we said Babe Ruth put a slice of of chilled cabbage under his hat to keep him cool during the game, where he changed it every two innings. So, <laughs> Francois, that's my favorite answer, and it should be. And I love that you, I love that you, brought, I mean, hey, who would have who would have thought? So it's true. I think you should get a ding just for for that. Creative answer. Thank you, Francois. Apparently it's not, but um. <laughs> mm. it
0: is not, sadly. I kind of wish it was.
1: All right. So, okay. Are you ready? Yeah.
2: There has to be a soccer fan out there.
0: I know. I'm surprised. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, so it used to be called, from 1982 to 2006, the Golden Shoe, but it's now called the Golden Boot. The Golden Boot. Yeah. Why, why did it change?
2: They wear boots in soccer now.
0: There were boots? <laughs> oh that's yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Don't ask I don't have all the factoids like okay. you, okay? I can't do that's it. That's
1: part of the pre break quiz magic. You have to go into the why. You're right. And, I really
0: uh, I thought I was doing good with the nineteen eighty two and the switch of the name. Those were my factoids. You really dropped the ball. Oh damn it. <laughs> but, um, this is hard. Yeah, no pun- yeah the what pre- you
1: do is hard. <laughs> 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 this is where I spent all my week on the pre break quiz. <laughs> all right, the golden boot. The golden that just doesn't even sound like a nice thing. The fact, golden boot actually. It sounds like a negative thing. All right. <laughs> For, like right. punishment.
0: <laughs> all right, who's going to win the golden boot? Anybody uh anybody know? There is a the player that ha- there are these all these sites that track data on who's doing what. And so the, there's a player in the UK right now. Of course, I don't know his name at all, but he's got it right now, but we'll see at the end.
1: All right, we're wishing him all the luck on that. 844-844-942-7866. Thank you Michelle for doing that. That was awesome. Today on uh, Inside Out Career Talk where I'm getting interviewed. I'm in the hot seat today. We're talking about my book Switchers, how smart Professionals change careers and see success, and we're here with Nick Corcadelius of Ask the Headhunter Fame, who is interviewing me. Yeah, eight four four. Sorry, eight four four. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We'd love to hear from you.
2: So, in, in in today's outsourced world, we know that everything gets outsourced to the point where it almost gets ridiculous, and it's why people are losing jobs. But managers seem to have this sense that they can pay to get anything done. You can hire a consultant. You can hire a team of people to handle a project in your company. You can outsource an entire operation overseas. Managers really have come to believe that you can buy anything you want to solve a problem in the business world, so it's very natural. You and I both have this experience. Managers who want to change careers, anyone who wants to change careers, ask the question, who can help me do it? Who do I pay? Where do I sign up? How much is it going to cost? So there are career coaches out there. There are all kinds of coaches. People want to think that they don't have to do it on their own, which I don't think is really possible. But there is help to be had if you find it carefully. So the question for you is, Don, what kind of advice do you give someone who wants to switch careers who really feels they need help after they've read your book?
1: hmm. So I think it's always good to have an objective person. And a lot of the things about loss aversion and all these things, you can get really caught up in an emotion. And, um, and if you're looking to make a switch, uh, there's a there's a section in the book that talks about how to pick a career coach. And I do think it can be very helpful to work with somebody to help you. Make sure your brand is understandable. Make sure that you have practice interviewing. At a, We talked about those surgical words earlier. Make sure you're, you're using the words that are going to be most um, acceptable by the hiring manager. Make sure that, that it, you're not missing things or, or promoting skills that are not going to be uh, the ones that the, the new audience wants. Because it's really difficult. I mean, the difficult part about switching careers is, as exciting as it is, you are changing your professional identity and that can be really hard to do without some objective feedback and i think you can do it without that but if you're not getting to where you want to be i think it's great to have somebody step in and give you maybe what would be some pretty hard feedback about your strategy
2: so what's one tip you would offer a job switcher about how to pick a good coach
1: so in terms of how to pick a good coach, I think one of the things people do is, oh, let me look at all of their credentials and let me look at all of their you know, um, LinkedIn recommendations and all that. And I think those are all really important to do. You want somebody who's credible and you want somebody who, who does this. Um, a couple of things that I think are important, the world of career and job search changes so much. I feel like if you're doing this specifically for your job search, it's important to find somebody who... Um, not necessarily works in your field because that's, that's, people would never make any money, can't work in everything, <laughs> but um, somebody understands your type of search. So if you're looking to make a switch, somebody who has worked with people who have made switches. Uh, I think it's important that they focus on career coaching and not just all types of coaching, executive coaching, life coaching, because career coaching, especially the tactical piece, Can be very specific. So, a lot of recruiters, for example, like myself, have switched over to the other side because you have that tactical side that you can really help people understand and get through. I think it's also important, um, you know, logistics wise, that you find somebody who works with your schedule. A lot of people say that we only offer a four month or six month program, but maybe you're just struggling with the interview and you want to do a prep interview and you don't want to invest that. You know, it does take a little time to, to get through things, but if you're not wanting to do six, months, okay, so that's not gonna work for you. Um I also think obviously working within your budget. I mean this is one where I've had a lot of career um coaches say to me, you know, I'm I'm out of work and I don't have a budget. But it's important to invest. Now how much you invest, this is where it kind of gets crazy because you know your coach should be able to work with you to come up with a budget and a plan that works for you. What I would caution people to avoid are these companies who say, I'm going to do it all for you and you're going to pay me $10,000 right. and I'm going to get you in front of the decision makers and I'm going to write your resume and I'm going to do all this stuff for you because nobody can guarantee that. And you're also selling yourself short because you should be partnering with somebody and doing the work because it's the work that you're doing that's going to get you in yeah. front of the interviewer and have the, the chops to be able to talk about what you want to talk about. So there's a there's a fine line between you know somebody coaching you and being a partner, and then somebody saying right, they're going to do it right. for you. And, and
2: if, if I could add a bit to that, yeah, uh, pay as you go. I, I'm you you mentioned these firms that will charge you ten, fifteen. I've seen people spend twenty five thousand dollars with implied guarantees. We're going to get you a job. It just doesn't work. I find the best solution if you're going to approach one of these firms or an individual, and I tend to prefer individuals rather than firms, is find someone who will work with you on a pay-as-you-go basis so that if they're not delivering, you have a way out. You have a stopgap measure where you're not going to keep spending money. if you're. There are good coaches, and I think good coaches charge, if not by the hour, at least by the session.
1: Yeah, and, and people can't, if they make a guarantee, run. <laughs> they can't guarantee a job. So here,
2: so here we are. I think we're terrifying people about how virtually impossible it is to successfully make a, make a career change when it's not. There, there are people who are successful at it. And
0: uh, can I
1: comment on that? Sure, Cause it's, sure. it's interesting to me because, um, you know, when you read this book, I think the first thing, um, you know, the first piece of feedback my mom gave me was. Wow, that's a lot of work. I'm glad I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it was it was interesting because obviously she's looking at it from a different perspective. But here's what I'll say: I'm not I'm not going to say this book is is effortless. I'm not going to say making a career switch is effortless. Um, what I am going to say is it's possible. And I think if you're willing to do the work, and we're not talking about ridiculous amounts of work, but it, we are talking about really taking the time to know yourself. To, to brand yourself, to to practice interviewing, which any job seeker should be doing. Um, you talked earlier, Nick, about being the standout candidate. If you're, if you're doing the same things everybody else is, you're not standing out. If you want to make the process easy, if you want to pay someone to do it for you, guess what? If I'm a hiring manager, I don't want you. I don't want somebody who's going to pay someone else to do this type yeah. of work. Yeah. So you really have to think about where do you want to be and, um, you know, here's a process for getting there. No, it's, it's, not, it's not an overnight process. But few of the great things, if any of the great things, are effortless.
2: We, we've talked about the cost of making a change like this. or, or any, Whether it's a career change or a job change, what I try to get across to people is think about the salary that you expect to get or that you're earning now. So you're looking for a job that, for, let's say it's $100,000 a year. The question to ask yourself is, are you about to put in $100,000 worth of work to get that job? If you're not willing to do that kind of work, then you really have no business going after the job. But if you're serious about it and you're willing to put in that kind of investment time and effort, then your odds of success, I think, are significant. People can do it. But forget about the marketing. You can't just post your profile on LinkedIn and zap out, you know, 50 applications or fill out 50 application forms you need to do the work that's commensurate with the kind of salary and compensation you want to get.
1: Mm-hmm. And my my kind of tagline is: If you don't invest, why should they? And this this kind of goes across multiple things. People say, Oh, I want to pick your brain, which is like, ah, nails on a chalkboard for me. I hate that <laughs> phrase. You know, but but you know, I, I ask them, and, and I'm sure this happens to you all the time as well, Nick, you know, have you read my blog? I've been blogging every single week for five years. And it's free. And it's free every week. I've i you know, I've written a book, I've been on YouTube stuff, I've been on obviously the radio for three years. Um, again, all this stuff, you know, it's it's on iTunes and Google Play. And when somebody reaches out to me and like they haven't done they haven't looked at anything, but they're like, I have all these questions. Well, you've not done any investment. And, you know, hiring is the same thing. If you've not done the work to really think about your skills and rebrand yourself and, and talk to people in the industry and get to know what the pain points are and do this. You know, when you sit in front of me as a switcher and you say to me, I'm really passionate about X, Y, Z. Well, you know, hey, you know, passion is not action. And and passion is not commitment. I want to see action. And this that's what this book teaches you to do. And I, I think too, maybe you know, maybe you, the whole process is gonna make sense for you, but maybe you're a job seeker stuck in a certain part of the process. You can't get to the second interview. This book will still help you and it will amp up your ability to get to the other side because it'll give you the tips of, of understanding what's going on and that will enable you to change your strategy. So I I don't know how to make it easy i wish i could if i could come up with that pill i I would i would be a rich rich woman it's
2: that level of honesty in the book that i think really makes it valuable you're not pitching what you're doing is offering solutions let's talk quickly about uh success so someone succeeds in getting a, a job offer and on page 208 you say something that really made me jump out of my seat you said why it's a bad idea to stop your job search efforts when, you've, when you're when you just about to get a job offer. Mm-hmm. Why, that's a profound point. People get the offer. Like, oh, fantastic. I got the offer. I've solved my problem. I've succeeded. And what you're saying is, well, wait a minute why
1: yes and, and you know people even stop before that nick they think i had a great second interview i see the offer coming i'm i'm imagining myself sitting in the in the chair doing the work I imagine my commute i'm checking out all of the, like the the public transit how am i going to get there i mean and and they haven't even gotten the offer but but here's the thing you want to keep going until you are literally sitting in that chair Um, because what what we know is that lots of things can change between kind of feeling like you've got the offer, even getting the offer and and sitting in that chair. And it's unfortunate, but um, you've put in all this work and you don't want to stop and say, I'm not going to continue with my networking meetings. I'm not going to continue this because things fall through and it's unfortunate that that happens, but it does. Or that second interview, that was so great. You didn't know that they have an internal candidate that they've been planning to hire the whole time. And they had to put you through this gymnastics because of legal reasons, which is a process I think is horrible to do to any job seeker. But it happens all the time. So my advice is, you know, you had a great interview. You, you have, you know, an initial offer. Keep going until you're sitting in that chair because you want to make sure that, that all of your effort, that momentum keeps going until you're, you're um, happily employed and getting a paycheck.
2: And I think it's subtle, profound insights like that. And that kind of advice that makes your book, and I'm going to say the whole title, Career Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success. It's not easy, but having been in this business over 25 years, what I can say to your listeners is if they're switching careers or even changing jobs, they read this book and follow even 15% mm-hmm. of the advice in it, it's going to change their lives.
1: Wow! Thank you, Nick. That is a fantastic, fantastic pitch for the book, and a, and a great way to wrap up the show. And you know, to all my listeners, to all of my my followers on Twitter and social media. I mean, this book, this book is was a labor of love. It comes to you from a place of um, you know, I, I got I was with Arthur Anderson, you know, and the whole Enron thing happened and I found myself feeling very stuck because 60,000 of my my network were on the street, too. I was in a company that that, you know, didn't have the greatest reputation on paper. And I felt like, wow, my you know, what do I have? And I never want anybody to feel that that stuck ever and that's why i stepped into the career coaching side that's why i wrote this book and that's the empowerment that i hope it gives to everybody who who takes the time to read it so thank you nick thank you this has been phenomenal not just thank for- you for
2: asking me to do yeah. this i've been dreaming of being able to sit on the other side of this microphone <laughs> well, for you're so, many, at it. so many times are <laughs> you interviewing me being able to ask you questions and hear you give your advice to your listeners
1: Well, it's been phenomenal, not just today, but the process along the way. Thank you for all of your support. And um, Michelle and Danielle, awesome. Thank you for doing the pre-break quiz, Uh, the golden boot. I don't think I'll ever forget that. And, of course, to you, all of our listeners, um, we do this for you every week on Sirius XM Channel 111. You've been listening to Career Talk, and we will see you next time.